Welcome, everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Barry, along with my good friend, Father Richard Heilman. And our guest tonight, Father Chad Ripperger, is back with us once again. It's always an honor to have him on. Uh, before we get started with this fantastic episode, we hope and pray it will be, we want to begin with prayer. Father Heilman? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. And thank all of you out there who support the U.S. Grace Force podcast for your prayers, your encouragement, your comments. I say this every episode. It means a lot to us. It really helps us continue to get this message out. And we thank everybody out there who supports us through the Patreon program. If anybody's interested in joining the Patreon team, which is a powerful way to throw a few dollars our way every month and help continue to support getting this message out, you can click the link in the description below and know that you are all in our prayers. Everyone who supports us in any way, shape, or form is in our prayers. We're so thankful for that. The times are serious. We've got to get this message out. And the message tonight, of course, speaks about uh, spiritual leaders being bad parents. And we're going to break all this down. Father Howman, I know this is something that is very, very near and dear to your heart. And I know we've been talking a lot about this topic. And you wrote something pretty fantastic recently. And that's why we're dealing with this tonight. Well, we're so very grateful, Father, for you coming on. Thank you so much. And we wanted to get your take on this. But just to kind of set it up a little bit, it was last Friday. And uh, we're actually recording on D-Day today, which uh, mm. it's uh, yeah. June 6th. And um, anyways, it was last Friday. And I just had that um, strong sense that I was receiving from the Holy Spirit. We all get that at times, you know, we're in prayer. And then I often get it when I'm praying the Liturgy of the Hours. But anyways right from the get-go in the morning. And then it, it clicked with me that it was the first Friday in June. So first Fridays we normally dedicate to this uh, Sacred Heart. And then it was also June, which we dedicate to the Sacred Heart. And so I wondered if that maybe might be the reason why I was receiving so strongly. And also just to understand that this is also the month that our culture dedicates to LGBTQ RST, whatever, you know, and uh, so I said, you know, there's quite a contrast there. And so uh, how did we ever get here? And that's what I started writing. And and just, the, I, I called it uh, um, a manifesto. That, that word came to me too. But I, I just wanted, I, I wanted the message to go out that I really feel like, at least from my heart, this is what I believe is what we're facing today. Uh, you know, whittle it all down, boil it all down. This is what we're facing today, and um, and then I also offered what I believe is the way we need to go, and ultimately we need heroes. Uh, but uh, but what 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 I what I was talking about there, Father, and I, I'd love to get your take on this, is uh, really that um, the the gospel that morning was Jesus tipping over the money changers table in in the temple area. You know, it, basically they were being they're blaspheming God and. And, uh, and he would have nothing of it. So I said, well, wait a minute. This is, a sac this, is, this is the sacred heart of Jesus. I mean, he's the perfection of love. He's, a, he's, the, he's the second person of the Trinity. I mean, and yet he is angry and violent. You know, and, and, and so I, I said it that way. I wrote it that way just to say, 
it's a stark contrast to how I think a lot of people, especially spiritual leaders, want to paint Jesus. You know, I, and I, I kind of half jokingly said, you know, we want to paint him as a, uh, you know, uh, effeminate hippie tiptoeing through the tulips and and uh, would never say anything to to uh, to get anybody upset, you know, and and, uh, and yet we see that. And the point I was trying to make there too is, you know, that Jesus is the perfection of love, yet he can be angry and, and upset. And because why? Because he's seeing a, a, a movement, a, a force that is going to do some severe damage to his flock if he doesn't get strong and 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 forthright and and speak clearly and even with um you know that that anger in his tone and i said like a good parent would do right so father i i, I i'd like to get your take on this because um i don't know is, is this is this kind of what you believe is what we're facing today is is uh what i what i think is weak spiritual leadership i, I want to end just with a quote, quote that i found that came just after that too but this is uh this is actually from napoleon bonaparte the world suffers a lot not because of the violence of bad people but the silence of good people and i i just feel like the devil is moving aggressively right now because the heroes are missing in action father can you give your take on that yeah, I think that's generally true. I mean, I think that um, one of the aspects of the census fidelium, I think a lot of people, I should say a lot of the faithful Catholics are looking at uh, our spiritual leaders and looking at them and saying, not all of them, of course, there's a few here and there, but it's just very small percentage. It is. Um, but most of them are um, at uh, best absent, but at worst, um, you know, saying things that are contrary to the faith you even have bishops pointing out to conferences of bishops stating that their positions are not uh, what the church has always held and i think they are bad parents in two senses one in the sense that parents are supposed to form us right intellectually right. and in this particular case our spiritual parents are supposed to form us in the faith and to also provide us protection i mean to to provide to protect is what their two principal functions of authority is but they're supposed to be protecting us too from uh the wolves within the fold itself this is one of the things that i think has a lot of people um suffering is the fact that a lot of these leaders the spiritual leaders are themselves the actual problem and either they're wolves or they're allowing the wolves to just ravage the the vineyard so to speak and they're not doing anything to actually stop it um, you know, the definition, St. Thomas gives the definition for anger as a perception of injury with a desire for vindication. Well, obviously, um, one of the conference, conferences I've been meaning to do, I just haven't had a chance to get around to do it, is how much offense God is taking by all of this. I mean, we, we tend to look at how much we're suffering and how bad everything actually is. But if you look at just the sheer amount of sin that's occurring in the world, how much he's being offended... And so his uh, wrath, so to speak, in fact, Our Lady herself even mentions um, God's wrath, if I'm not mistaken. It's either in Akita, it's in one of the approved apparitions, yeah. refers to God's wrath about this because of the fact that, um, you know, we're offending him so gravely on, on, you know, not just here and there, but it seems like almost gl uh, global wide. I mean, it just seems like everybody is um, doing things and there's certain people too that are gaining ascendancy and positions of power that are clearly 
not just not Christian. They're actually, some of them are actually, you know, basically evil people. You've heard me say that too before, right? At your place, I even mentioned that. Yep. So I think that the, the faithful are recognizing that um, they almost feel like, I think, in a certain sense that they're leaderless, which is one of the reasons why I think that they look at like your podcast and mine. And I think that's why they're looking because they're looking for leadership and they have a sense of the faithful. They know that there's something wrong. In fact, one of the books I'm writing right now is um, uh, on the sense of the faithful, what it is, why people actually recognize there's something fundamentally wrong with what's going on. They hear things, they know these things aren't true. Um, and I want to make sure that people have the proper principles on how to judge those things. But, you know, I think the other side of it that I was thinking um as I was reading through your thing, is that uh, he is angry, but in the end, he still, uh, even though he's going to punish it, his punishment is going to be corrective if we're willing to accept it. Right. And I think that's one of the things that he, I like it, good parent God will want to correct us, correct us so that we'll get our act together. But, um, and one last kind of thought about this, and this is something which I think is, um, a bit perplexing, you know, I said, you know, if you look at um, who we have as the president, and a lot of people are complaining even about the Holy Father, about the things he says and this type of stuff, I always thought to myself, well, if we get the leaders we deserve, what does that mean about how God views us as a people? I think a lot of times people think that, you know, that the real problem is it's all this evil up above and the rest of the people are pretty much decent folk. Well, that's not even true. I mean, if you look at the Number of cat, the number of people that actually live together before they're married is 98%. The number of Catholics living together before they're married is 97%. So there's hardly any statistical difference. And so people are doing a lot of things that are gravely offending him. And we ourselves need to uh, start leading a good life. But I think that the hero part is key too, because it's the heroes who are going to provide the leadership and to show people this is the way you're going to, you need to go. If in the end, we're going to get the leaders that we deserve in, in a good sense, but then also that um, God's wrath won't be meted out on us. Yeah, Father, you're um, you're right about that. It was the key to Japan. I just did a quick search here, August third, nineteen seventy three, and in the midst of the message, Our Lady says to Sister Agnes Sasagawa, "In order that the world might know His anger, the Heavenly Father is preparing to inflict a great chastisement on all mankind." Uh, and I'm thinking 1973, obviously the year that the United States legalized abortion um, and many other things were already breaking down. I think it was 1962 that the Supreme Court threw prayer out of schools, and then we saw an escalation of other societal problems. And it, those are unbelievable numbers that you just mentioned. 97% of Catholics uh, living together before marriage now. I, I, I mean, would on that subject alone, would a heroic spiritual leader say to uh, a, a couple that's engaged if they're living together you've got to move out before we'll go through the marriage preparation i mean how should a leader deal with that marriage situation the preparation for marriage alone in your opinion well i think that uh well let me put you this way most of the time they said well we're doing it for financial reasons but a vast majority of those in my experience, fortunately, working in traditional parishes, I never really had to deal with that that much. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, they say, well, we can't afford. Yeah, but you can still move out and live with your parents mm -hmm. until this gets straightened out, right? And so a lot of times that will, and they'll admit that they can. It's just 
really a matter of that whether they want to or not. Um, it's obviously very convenient. They probably do save money. But in the end, the real issue is, is that, um, you know, are you going to prepare for a good and holy marriage? Because if you're, if you're, as the pastor, the first pastor I was under, he said, you know, because he would ask people who are living together, if you're not following God's laws now, how do I know you're going to follow them after you're married? And a lot of times this was something which would kind of jar people a little bit, but I think that most people can. I just think most priests are too weak. Um, you know, there might be some very extraordinary rare, I've come across just a, maybe two or three of them in my priesthood, that um, usually it's because there's children involved already, you know, and so because they've been living um, together for a while, and they're having children before they're even trying to get their marriage straightened out. But, uh, but most of the time, there's no reason why a pastor can't ask them, look, there's no reason why you can't separate at least until the marriage is completed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, we, the title is, it talks about the, the bad parents. And I thought, you know, for our viewers, I'd, I'd share, you know, what we're, what we mean by that, at least what I wrote in the, in the um, manifesto uh, and we'll put a link to it uh, below. They can read it too, but I just want to read that part because it kind of frames what we're talking about here. I, I, I said this, I, I started, you know, th that, you know, we're identifying an important part of the problem that we have today. It, it, we, especially spiritual leaders, uh, want to identify love as giving in and giving way to anything or anybody for the sake of peace. And then I wrote this. The classic analogy is the bad parent who rarely corrects or disciplines their children. Temper tantrums are rewarded by candy bars for the sake of peace. These parents are quick to give participation trophies for fear their child may collapse back into another temper tantrum. What is the result? A child that grows up with a plethora of psychological, psychological issues, especially narcissism, a child who feels entitled and never strives to become the best version of themselves, a child with a poor uh, moral compass, a child that is destined to live a life filled with anxiety and distress, a child who grows to act out with adult forms of temper tantrums, a child that may never understand what brings peace to our souls. Parents such as these do not actually love. They only desire their own personal peace at any price. You know, I, per I personally mm -hmm. witnessed bad parents in my lifetime. And I've witnessed amazing parents too. And there is a stark contrast when you when you, you view them. But it, it's it's you can almost see in the bad parents that it, it, the children almost seem like a bother to them. You know, that uh, you're, you're in my way, you're obstructing my comfort, you're... You know, I, I got, I got, I got this money to make. I got this, you know, brand to build or whatever uh, they're doing that has their full attention, while the child is over there trying to get their attention. And um, I, I just feel like I use that analogy because I, I, I just feel like that's the problem today with our spiritual leaders is that you know, look at what's going on in the world right now. I mean, you can't make this up. Uh, I was just watching another program about, um, you know, uh, biological men taking, um, you know, the uh, the trophies away from from women, young women, uh, by participating in their sport. I mean, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't heard a lot of because you're not going to hear it on leg legacy media, but uh, but you know, teenage boys. I mean, they can just announce they're a girl and go and share the shower with them. Uh, it, it's crazy right now and it just seems like the spiritual leaders are like just leave me alone 
I just want peace. It, it's it's too much for me, you know. Uh, and so here, here, just uh, go over there with your candy bar, or whatever. Uh, and and I feel, and Father, I, I take your take on this, but I feel that it needs to begin with the spiritual leaders because they're the leaders. And yeah. when it doesn't begin with them, then everybody says, "Okay, new normal." No, this is this is what we believe now because look, the spiritual leaders could care less. Why should I, Father? Right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. I mean, I think that um, they yeah they don't want to be bothered, or I think another problem that can happen in the priesthood is they want to be liked, right? Instead that's of, it. Yes, yeah, and that's that's a you know one of the things I've learned by just preaching the truth is that people are going to love you or they're going to hate you if you preach the truth. Right. If you're not willing to preach the truth, well, in the end, nobody likes you. <laughs> so so you might as well just preach the truth. Anyway, one time this one fraternity priest, he said, look it, my job is to save your soul. There's nothing in that job description that says you have to like it. And I think that this is uh, something that we need to recognize that as spiritual leaders, our job is to provide you with the information and the encouragement to engage those things that are difficult, that are going to be painful in order to achieve that greatness that, that you should be um, ultimately striving for. But I think a lot of it just comes down to basic human respect among the clergy. Part of it is, too, is a lot of priests know that if they start upsetting their parishioners, then the bishop's going to be breathing down their throats, yep. etc. And so they're just uh, basically the priests themselves are unwilling to suffer. Yeah. Oh, can I just follow up real quick, Doug, and then I'll let you sure. go. But I thought of this while I was listening to that, uh, Father, that that uh, the other thing, that, the other element that's in there, I think, is you said that they want to be liked. But I also think that it's easier to abuse the compliant child, the the the, the, the child, the good child, versus you don't want to get the, the, the one that's going to go into a temper tantrum upset. So you leave them alone. But it's easy to go after. And that's a phenomenon I'm seeing in the church right now. Our yeah. spiritual leaders are going after the easy targets, the good guys, you know, yeah. that, that, that won't that won't attack back. But the ones that are violent and attack and letters and oh, I'm going to get you and all this stuff. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Here's a candy bar, you know, you will, or whatever form of that it is mm -hmm. to appease you. Is that something you're seeing too, Father? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. And yeah. I think that's a lot of it is exactly like you say. Bishops know that they can come down hard on people who are faithful. Right. Precisely because they won't attack them because they have respect for their office or what have you. Whereas the, those who don't, right. they just try to placate them. I just think that's, oh, I, I think it's a pandemic of that right now. Yeah. Which actually tells you something which, you know, a hero is precisely someone who has heroic virtue, right? It's the guy who strives to achieve something great and hard and difficult. And that's just not, we're not seeing that in our leaders. Right. right now. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, and as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode here, Father Heilman, we are recording this on June 6th, with his, yes. which is the anniversary of the Normandy invasion in 1944. And, you know, it makes me think about the history of the military and those who received the Medal of Honor, which is the highest award granted for heroic behavior. And it's interesting when you look at, and I think it's only 4,000 or so. It's not a lot considering the millions of men and women who've been in the U.S. military of all branches. And you find that in all the cases of those who who received the Medal of Honor, I'm thinking about what you had just said, Father Ripker, 
um, they're they're normally being shot at. They've been shot at. They've been shot. They've been brutalized. Many of them receive it posthumously after they've passed away. Um, it it's just one of those things where we hold in such incredibly high esteem those who go through unbelievable challenge and difficulty and do the most heroic things and we re we honor that we we respect it we elevate that but we don't seem to do that right now with our spiritual leaders and you know when so when you mentioned that father Rickert, it made me think about just the fact that on this day as we record this we remember those men i think father Hamlin, you had said some time ago that the first wave of those those guys that hit the beaches, especially Omaha Beach, which was one of the most brutal and and uh, and vicious, you know, 80, 90 percent of them did not make it, you know, but those men, you know, they, they were they were shot up. They were blown up before they even got onto the beach, some of them. But because they gave their lives, the other waves were able to get on the beach and, and get some some uh, progress done. But all of that heroism and all of that focus on we're going into this battle, we know we're going to get shot at, many are going to die, but we have to do it anyway. Is that kind of a comparison, Father Ripperger, in your opinion, that we could make to the Christian faith, to the Catholic faith today, as any, any Christian denomination, but especially as Catholics? I think back to what our Lord said, they hated me, they will hate you too. If they did this to the head of the church, what would, do, what would they do to the body of the church? This is just goes, I think Mother Teresa would say, this goes with the territory. You're gonna be hated. You're gonna be, you're gonna take gunfire. You're gonna take the arrows, but it has to be done. Can you comment on that whole mindset, Father Rivker? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think that, uh, you know, when you, as you were talking, Doug, I was thinking to myself, you know, that, the word that is kind of floating there is sacrifice, right? In the sense that those men, um, and some of them gave the, the the supreme sacrifice of their own life, or they sacrificed their bodily well-being for, for a greater good. And I think that one of the things that you're seeing um, among our leaders is a complete collapse in the identity of a priest as one who offers sacrifice. I mean, St. Paul himself said it, that God calls um men you know from the ranks in order to offer sacrifice right so they they're basically that's what a priest is it's essential function stalkers offer sacrifice and it's not just the mass it's also sacrificing their um you know their their the fact that they're, they're not going to be comfortable because too many priests are looking for a comfortable priesthood they're looking for, and same way, I think with the bishops, they just want things to be smooth and comfortable rather than willing to suffer in order to achieve a greater good. I think probably if anything that the demons have successfully convinced people of is that in sacrifice, in the end, you just lose out. You're just going to lose out on something that you could have, whether it's comfort or peace or what have you, or people's adulation or people's acceptance, um, you know or being liked by people. And so they think you're gonna lose that out. And in the end, you'll end up with nothing. When in point in fact, in every sacrifice, we turn away from a lower good in order to achieve a higher good. So that in point in fact, even when we sacrifice those lower goods, we're achieving a higher good, but there's, and that's what a true hero is, right? He's willing to sacrifice himself for a, a good that he sees even beyond himself, a good that is greater than him and which he can actually strive for and then provide for other people as a greater good. And I just don't think we see um, a lot of bishops and priests who have that sense of sacrifice, that willingness to, to be 
willing to lose some particular created good in their life or some aspect of their life for the sake of achieving a greater good for, um, you know, for the church or for the people that are under their care or what have you. There's something supernatural, isn't there, about sacrifice? I mean, the, the word itself, and I'm terrible with Latin, so correct me if I'm wrong, but sacrificere, right? To, yeah, make means holy. to make holy. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, so prayer, when you add sacrifice, penance, mortification, when you add sacrifice to your prayer, it's much more efficacious. Have you found that? I, I know personally I've found that. Is that true, Father? When you add sacrifice, when you add fasting, mortification to prayer? Yeah, it's all the, It's actually all those things. There's always a greater good that you're going to achieve in the process. Right. You, know, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, St. Thomas says, that if you actually look at the humanity of Christ when he was hung upon the cross, the ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice, right? He said, Christ didn't merit anything for himself right. except a resurrected body. But in that sacrifice, he merited for us our eternal salvation. So he, he was willing to sacrifice his bodily integrity and even his life, his bodily life, for the sake of a much greater good. And so it, it does make it holy. But I think that's what... People don't. Uh, the, I think a lot of people don't see that they they're unwilling to strive for those higher and greater goods because it's painful and it's difficult and it requires self denial and self death, etc. And I think just a lot of priests don't have that identity as a priest. You know that I'm. It's not just that I'm offering mass, but that I'm actually suffering and offering these things up for my people and for the greater good. Real quick, uh, um, on, while we're on D Day and sacrifice. I shared this this morning with my congregation, and and uh, yeah, I've, I've, people have heard me tell the story before. But my brother-in-law's dad was in the D-Day invasion, and uh, he ended up moving inland and found himself in a bombed-out castle. And he he was able to tell that he must have been in the what was the the chapel of the bombed-out castle because he saw the elements, but he saw the crucifix, the life-size crucifix, face down in the dirt. And he had to move out, but he couldn't, you know, he was a devout Catholic. He couldn't leave our Lord's face in the dirt. So he wanted to simply flip it over. And when he did, the skull cap popped off and it, he, he observed it. It looked like it was supposed to do that, like it, like it screwed off and something popped out of that and fell into the dirt. And he didn't know what it was, but he said, if it came from there, it must be something sacred or something special. He put it in his pocket and he uh, moved out. He ended up surviving the war. And then he visited his sister, who was a nun in Milwaukee, and he found himself in the room full of nuns, and he remembered he brought it with him because they might know what it is. So he pulled it out of his pocket, and the whole room of nuns went down to their knees and started doing the sign of the cross, and uh, and uh, they recognized that it was a relic of the true cross, and it's since been verified by a leading expert in, in relics. And actually, here, I brought it with me, and there it is. That's the relic of the true cross. But what I've uh, what I've done is um, I've shared this with many people. But we we teach, don't we, Father, that when you touch a first class relic with your religious article, that religious article becomes a third class relic. Right. So I so I decided that I wanted to get powerful weapons, spiritual weapons, to the military, and I started what I call combat rosaries for heroes. And in fact, tomorrow the next five hundred are being shipped out to the military. Um, well, actually, first it's going to go to a family who's going to touch all the combat rosaries to to this relic of the true cross thanks to the graciousness 
of people who donate, people can go to Combat Rosaries for Heroes and if they want to donate to this. But uh, that'll make 14000 that we've gotten out to the military with this. But I want to end by telling this story. And we just got done talking about how, you know, prayer, uh, we're encouraged to add sacrifice, add, add mortification, fasting to our prayer. That My brother-in-law's dad used to sit in my pew before he passed away. And uh, he was given, I believe, a gift. He would pray that he had a deep devotion to the Blessed Mother, and he would pray uh, to the Blessed Mother. He sat right in front of the of her altar, and he actually saw her lips move as he prayed. And he's he commented several times. And this was a man who had all his wits, and he was. Uh, I I just believe that he was given a a special gift, um, and so and I, I I I'm sorry. I just believe things like that are possible. Uh, that people experience supernatural miracles, I, and and I that that really gets down to what we're talking about, isn't it? That uh, we've lost the sense of the supernatural. It's it, and my claim is my 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 observance is since 1970 or, or thereabouts that there was this effort uh, campaign almost to strip out anything that points us to the supernatural. Um, and I, I actually tell how, when I, by the time I entered seminary in the eighties, that, uh, we weren't offered one minute of Eucharistic adoration. I, people have heard me tell that before. That's unbelievable. I mean, mm -hmm. not one minute. And I watched at least two guys get kicked out of seminary because they were caught having a devotion to the blessed mother. That's where we were. Okay. And in a lot of places, in a lot of ways, that's where we are. And so it, it's, it's, the, the, we need heroes to rise up. We need to reclaim surrendered ground we we need to support uh spiritual leaders who actually believe in the supernatural power of god and spiritual leaders who have the courage like jesus did to speak forcefully about uh, against the evils of our time and and unfortunately i think right now uh like jesus when they abandoned him in the garden uh i i think a lot of these guys are standing alone and and i think if we're going to recover this church again, we've got to get behind spiritual leaders who, in a lot of ways, aren't being supported by their superiors, but uh, but the people need to support them. Father, I, I mean, I, I'm a, am I off base here, or you know, wh wh what's your belief on, you know, where where we need to go to restore to recover uh, the church today? <laughs> we need Our Lady's intervention. No. Um... Yeah. <laughs> in fact there was that i think it's i can't remember I, it might be an akita again because i just reread those uh, apparitions recently at, at, at a certain point she says only i can save you now right so yeah. but but even that gives us an indicator that our solution to our problems are not going to be father as you just said natural they right. have to be they have to be supernatural we have Absolutely. to the sense of the supernatural and i think it has to really ultimately start with a liturgy having a liturgy that is imbued with the supernatural yes people having a sense of honor reverence and awe and relationship to it and i think that's one of the ways that it has to ultimately begin um but i think even just uh you know i think that you're absolutely right in the sense that the church i, I kind of say this in 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 a twofold way you know we say you know they said at least that um, you know, that Vatican II wanted to embrace the modern world. Well, if you just drop the word uh, modern, that's what happened. They just, be, they became worldly in a lot of different ways. And priests, you know, Interesting. Uh, 
Yeah, and they used to even say that, you know, that, well, we really want to get the priest to the point where he's not doing all this administration, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. But if you talk to your average priest, 99% of what he does has nothing to do with his sacraments or helping people on, right. a, on a spiritual level. It has to do with all this other stuff. So I think it's kind of had the opposite. Effect. Or working on their own spiritual life. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. And so I think a lot of priests have just become very worldly. But I also think when we... The, to embrace the modern world, it also kind of locked us into a time warp in the sense of by modern, they meant at that time, right? So this is one of the reasons why the church um, in a variety of different ways seems to be locked into the 60s, you know? But I think the, the point being is, is that it's become very worldly and there has been a loss of the sense of the supernatural and people have become too familiar with these things rather than having a deep sense of reverence. And so I think that, um, and, and I, I think if you actually look at the saints throughout history, if there was anything that they had, it was a sense of God's sacrality and how he has to be treated and approached and yes. not just at mass, but in your, in all aspects of your life. Yep. Father Ripperger, I'm curious, your, your take on the title, our spiritual, our spiritual leaders are bad parents and father howman gave a great explanation of that which you commented on and agreed that you know this kind of participation trophy or participation award mindset um nothing that really in 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 general we don't get a lot of the hold the feet to the fire type of let's 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 get out there and really engage in in the spiritual battle you of course as an exorcist and spoken so openly about what you've seen in that spiritual realm. Um, so with regards to, I got a couple of questions. So I'll just hit this one first. The diabolical behavior that's going on that you're seeing in cases and situations lately, can you describe what you believe is happening with the diabolical in, with, in regards to this subject? The weakening of the spiritual leadership the weakening of the laity, those of us sitting in the pews who were just kind of clocking in and clocking out sometimes, um, not really being challenged. You know, if I went to football practice and the coach said, hey, we're going to run, you know, if you feel like it, um, we're going to run a few plays and, you know, see how it goes. And then we got a game coming up in a week and we're going to win, maybe. Obviously, we would not have a winning season and, and let alone a championship. But that's kind of where we are in many places. Uh, I don't want to be too harsh because you might quit the team. Yeah, we, right? That's it too. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you could reference or, or, or give us some context with regards to the spiritual aspect of what's going on, the diabolical, the comments, the statements. I mean, you said in a previous podcast we did with you that you had heard regarding a church issue that the demon was behaving uh, very agitated like a, i think you said like a juvenile and and you just blurt, blurted out what's the matter with you what's going on here and right. and he said he's about to take away my power and you said right. this was with regards to some aspect of something in the church so what can you say about the diabolical kind of behavior going on currently with this topic of weak spiritual leadership weak laity and the, you know, really the hundred years now we're dealing with the fallout of the hundred years from Leo the 13th experience. Well, there's still, there's still have that psychology that their time is extraordinarily short. Right. And by, again, it could be two, three, five, ten 10 years, but they know their time is really short. 
It also means they're ramping up their, um, which we talked a little bit about. They're also ramping up what they're doing and they're almost reckless in, a, in certain ways. Um, but I also think that they're spending a lot more time. One of the things that I've noticed as a pattern um, is that the shift has happened more recently where if it's true that grace comes into the world by means of the Catholic Church, then that means that it's the members of the Catholic Church that are going to be meriting the grace for everybody to receive grace, both they're in and out of the church. And so what you're seeing is that the demons now, uh, and this is something we started noticing happening about six months to a year ago, is that Catholic good, good Catholic people and families are under brutal attack very often right now. And it's because they're going after the last vestiges of anything that could provide grace for everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. um, I also think that they're just, they're pressing their advantage, so to speak. They know that they have a lot of people in positions of power that have a great deal of psychological compatibility with them, that is the demons. And so they're they're doing an awful lot in order to, con to continue to erode this thing as far as possibly they possibly can. But I, I think that it, the two things that I'm seeing the most in is that's happening is pe in people is, the demons are driving attachments to, as I mentioned before, comfort of life, especially among the clergy or certain things among the clergy and there, and even among Catholics. Um, Cause I've noticed that sometimes when people will criticize me about something that I've said, even though it's in the tradition, um, they'll disagree with it, but not because it's not what the church or the saints have always taught, but just because they didn't want to hear it. Right. And so the demons are developing a great deal of psychological compatibility in humanity. You see this, just turning on the television, you see that people's thinking of pattern is not any different from the way the demons are trying to drive them to do so. But it also means that they're, they're, um, it's, it's be, their influence is becoming more extensive, but the demons are also showing signs of getting nervous that it's getting to the end. And the reason being, of course, is because they've watched history you know, human history since the time of Adam and Eve. And they know when things get to a certain point, God steps in and then they lose what they have had. Mm. And so this is what, um, this is what I, they see those same patterns starting to emerge that they've seen in the past. And so they know it's coming. One of the most, uh, one of the most, uh, I don't, I want to use the word violent, but the, the most over-the-top reactions I've seen uh, is when a priest offers the Mass in the most reverent way possible. Right. And I believe a lot of priests aren't doing it because of that, because they've experienced. They kind of put their toe in the water every once in a while, mm -hmm. and they went, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, it, 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 I believe, and Father, I'd like to get your take on this, but reverence is truth for sure but right. uh reverence is something the devil hates so much and gets into the bones of people to to just land an attack against anybody that shows reverence and it, 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 I'll, I'll, this is popped in my head but i think that's the major reason a lot of these priests are getting canceled right now because yeah. their superiors are seeing them who are, are offering the mass in such a reverent way? Well, it's they'll say it's causing division. Why? Because the wild reaction. No, 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 no. And, and I, I believe it's ultimately from the devil. But but it's it's that people want a religion that's a safe space. 
a, a, a religion that, 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 you know, they, the snowflakes don't want to get, you know, to melt by anything that's too serious, right? I want to right. be able to have my my cake and eat it too. I want to have my religion, my faith, and be able to continue to do everything else I want to do and and not do what I know I'm supposed to do. Father, what reverence is is that the devil is is uh, hates it, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, reverence is ultimately something that we, it's a respect that we show, and respect is basically that in our demeanor and actions and in our words, there's right. due solicitudes taken in relationship to something that is good or holy, right? So we have to uh, we have to treat it a very specific way. And that means that it really revolves around what is sacred. The uh, Monsignor Eugene Cavan, who was uh, one of my professors when I was in the seminary, he was actually the professor that, I don't know if you remember, of Father Heilman might remember this, but you remember that whole tete-a-tete -tete that was occurring at the Catholic University of America with Charles Curran. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, he was the guy that was behind the scenes fighting Curran on that. Really? And But anyway, he taught in the class, he basically, he, he kind of drew it out, and I can speak more to it if people want me to, but it that basically modernists have a hatred for the sacred, a hatred. Right. For yep. And so, and the reason that they, well, I'll just mention it, the reason they have a hatred for the sacred is because St. Thomas says that something that is sacred is arduous because we have to come up to it. It means we have to deny ourselves, suffer a little bit, but we have to conform ourselves to it. Like prayers is right. hard. It's difficult. It's something that's difficult. And so because they're following their appetites, basically, and their emotions and making themselves the standard of judgment and what they you know, their own pleasantness in, in that whole process, anytime anything sacred is introduced it rubs against that, and yep. then they have that reaction. This is why I think a lot of priests are seeing that. Anytime they try and introduce reverence into it, which is basically just a recognition of the sacrality of this thing, you get that vehement reaction among a small percentage of people. The, but as we all know, the younger people coming up, they're, but they're drawn to that. Oh, right? yeah. So I think that that's one of the signs that we might start seeing some heroes come up because – you know, eventually they're going to have to choose bishops from a, some from some of these guys, right? And so, some of these guys, and some of them are even preaching quite well, uh, or doing great, but they're also saying mass very reverently, or they're trying to be very reverent. They're under attack already in the first second year of their priesthood from the people that the older people usually who just want you know the huggy kissy mass, so to speak. Right. I mean, put right. it on that level, but that's basically what it is. And so, because precisely because of the fact that they're trying to be reverent and trying to bring back a sense of the sacred, but, and I think that that's, you know, a, and, and I mentioned this just a minute ago, that's really the whole point about a saint, is that a saint is someone who has that deep sense of God being sacred, and therefore I have to be reverent in relationship to him in all things. That's basically, you know, fear of offending God is basically fear of the Lord, and that fear of the Lord has just been lost. Yeah, and and the and the bad parent bishops are getting the complaints, yeah. and you know they're leveling uh, their punishment to the reverent priests uh, because yeah. uh, because reverence is is cause of division, and we can't have division. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you were saying before, though, Father, is the sense that the bishops are like being a bad parent when the bad kid acts up, you know, and he's he's angry. Then, or he doesn't like what the good kid is doing because right. he feels bad, or whatever the case is. 
they take it out on the good kid because they know the kid will comply. Right. And, and But in the meantime, they set up this dynamic in the family, which I'm sure you've seen numerous times because every priest has been a priest for any length of time has seen this, where in these bad families, where they had bad parents, the living conditions among the people is just unbearable. Right. Yep. Father, a couple things here. Um, I want to emphasize this point that you made earlier because I've never heard you put it in this term. Psychological compatibility with the demons. Yeah, that, that's that's just something worth really thinking about, that people have fallen into a psychological compatibility with diabolical thought that that's what you meant by that. Is that correct? That's right. So the first one to point that out to me was my one of my lay assistant that does my vetting. He, we were we were talking about patterns that we were seeing in people. And he said he, he basically described it as a psychological compatibility. So once demons kind of get their foot in the door or they're trying to get their foot in the door, they start driving behavior that suits their the demon's sin, right? And so they're trying to build that compatibility that they have with the, the per, uh, in the person with them for two reasons. One is because then they replicate themselves in the individual and they get this quasi-glory they think out of it. But the other part of it is, is that the more the person becomes psychologically compatible with the demon, the easier it is to move them according to that compatibility and to get them to sin or to get them to do disordered things. Right. Now, the fact is, is that every single human being has a certain amount of that. We have to kind of weed it out. But even in cases of possession, there's six stages. You can actually, we, we've been studying this question for some time now about the psychological compatibility. And what we noticed that even in possession, there's six stages of liberation. You can tell exactly where the person is in those six stages based upon how much psychological separation they've gotten from the demon and how much they haven't. Mm -hmm. So how much that compatibility is still in place determines where they're at in that process. And what we found is that you can liberate people more rapidly if you can identify that psychological compatibility, get the person to renounce it and start fighting against it and recognizing it. And then it breaks the hold that the demon has on the person and then they get, the liberation comes much more rapidly afterwards. But this psychological compatibility, I think that's what we're actually seeing. I mean, if you look at, you know, what some of the what some of the bishops actually say and do, and even some of the clergy, I mean, it's no different than what I hear in session. Some of these things, and so it's it's a bit mind blowing when you um, when you see how much compatibility the demons have built within the church itself. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just, that's an amazing way to put it. And that breakdown is, is uh, very enlightening. I'm sure for a lot. And I'm thinking that others are thinking as I'm thinking when we are seeing in this month of June, all of the businesses, even the LA Dodgers and that whole thing they're doing with that, oh, that yeah. trans group out there, how they capitulated, they got the pressure from the Catholic groups. They decided not to, or they decided to uninvite then they got the pressure from the city council and many others. They decided to reinvite, and there is this general, broad kind of acceptance that seems like a psychological compatibility. Tell me if I'm wrong. With just a lot of the general public on these issues of the oh, trans yeah. stuff or the LGBTQ stuff, and it's just kind of this. Yeah, we're just kind of riding this. We're going with it. But even when we see, you know, victories like boycotting you know, a department store because of their, their displays and what have you. Okay. Or, or, a, you know, a beer company there, there's a victory in that, but it, I almost feel sometimes, and while I'm happy, there's a victory there, father, I almost feel sometimes like 
is is that just kind of does that does that kind of console us that we can win this if we hit them in the pocketbook because the pocketbook is not the root of where this problem is it may help a little bit to win something but this is a much deeper issue than just the pocketbook am i right can can you talk about that a bit oh yeah absolutely i mean the the pocketbook is i mean it might be the means to kind of get them to stop some of their behavior the problem is it's it's analogous to when I was one time watching this congressman ask someone from the FBI when they were talking about how that they there was this document showing that they were spying on certain kinds of, of Catholics, right? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the, the, the FBI guy says, yeah, we realized that that was poorly worded. Well, if you listen to what he just said, he didn't say we're going to stop the behavior. He just said, we're going to figure some other way to do it is basically the way it came across to me. Yeah. And so what the congressman needed to ask him is, well, I'm not interested in the fact that you worded this thing badly. I want to know if you're going to stop the behavior, because that ultimately means there has to be a change of heart. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things, too, is that, you know, as you're mentioning that, how they kind of they're wishy-washy, they flip-flop. It's the same thing we see among a lot of the bishops where they're just so wishy-washy, you know, they can't they they. Uh, you know, they'll basically go the path of least resistance, a lot of them, whereas true hero, a true hero is someone who he knows what the truth is, and he remains steadfast in that truth, regardless of, as you were saying before, whether the bullets are flying or not. Mm -hmm. He just knows this is the right thing to do. Now, he's obviously going to be charitable to the degree that he can in that process. But in the end, he has to remain steadfast and true to what he knows is true. And this is what we're, this is simply not what we're seeing. The intensity of evil right now is just—it's crazy because it, people are being rewarded for things like burning down mom and pop's shops, right. and 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 those who are is serving in the military or serving in the police have to be defunded or, or they're, they're somehow bad. Um, and right. I, I I I'm very patriotic, and that pa pa patriotism is evil yeah. right now. You know, you're mega, or I don't know what you are. You're yeah, that's all Saul Linsky's rules for radicals, right? Pick the target. Yeah. Freeze it and, and marginalize it, uh, which he dedicated that book to Satan. Uh, but anyways, it, it's it's just it's out of control right now. And we need a, a return to an appreciation. I'm seeing it growing. It's, it's starting to grow a little bit. But appreciation for the real heroes, those who are willing to put their life on the line, whether it be military, whether it be police, or whether it be a priest who mm -hmm. wants to offer the mass reverently, no matter what kind of pushback he's going to get. You know, just uh, last week, my brother-in-law, because um, I just told the story about his dad in, in D-Day, but uh, he surprised me. He had one left, and I'm going to show you to you right now, but it's the bolt casing from when, um, at, at his dad's funeral, when they did the 21-gun salute for him, the honor guard. Now, look, look at what the honor guard is. The, they're, the, the, every motion, I actually trained my servers. I used the honor guard for an example, but it's just, it's very precise and very... Right. And that's reverent. They're revering this fallen soldier, you know, by that kind of motion, that kind of, you know, uh, and deliberateness and, and perfection and whatever they can do. Um, uh, and, and the devil hates that. And yeah. why does he hate it, though? Because it does the worst damage to his campaign. You know, you, right. when people ex are exposed to reverence, all of a sudden they go, well, with the, with a fallen soldier, I should be revering, you know, uh, the military and veterans and fallen soldiers. And, and, but with the mass too, I mean, when it's done, you know, hodgepodge, you know, whatever, 
uh, it's no wonder 70% no, don't longer believe in real presence. 70% don't yeah. believe in the real presence. But every place where it's offered with reverence, it's like it it, it grabs hold of them. And, they, and it's like an awakening occurs. Uh, and, and so uh, the return to to truth and transcendent is what's needed right now. But we, but we need heroes. We need people to rise up, support those priests that are doing their best to put, literally put their lives in line in the face of the Pharisees of our day uh, to, to do what they know in their heart is right. Uh, Father, do you think, are, are you hopeful? I mean, are, are you, you feel like there's a return coming? Um, I'm seeing signs of it, but I wish it'd go faster. But, but do, do you see, are you hopeful that, that this thing is going to turn around or, or where are we? Yeah, right I, think, I mean, if, if the young clergy and some of the young people, like these young families, Catholic families that are very noble, I, I think that it, it's coming. But it, I think that uh, the evil side of things, though, is going to ramp up. And that's why I mentioned before, they're attacking, they're specifically the demons are attacking very vehemently that specific category of people because yep. they know these are the ones that are going to easily usher this their defeat in yeah. um i do think it's going to get a much more intense and a lot worse i agree it's better but um but i think it i think it's i think the other thing is too is you know we look at the stuff that's going on in our culture you know if you've mentioned a few things um and all of those are, you know, they're not even rational, right? I mean, it's, no. it's literally irrational. And I think your average person who lives a life general of rationality looks at it and sees that this is irrational. But one of the successes of communism is to get to people to think that they're isolated and they're the only one that thinks that. But in point, in fact, I think a majority of people still think all the stuff that's going on is irrational. In fact, I'm sure you just saw there was a statistic that said that a majority of the people are not buying the LGBTQ agenda. They're just not right. buying it. Right. And so I think that uh, there's that element. But I think that ultimately what people the reason we need heroes is because we need to see an example of magnanimity, greatness of soul. This is a yes. great man. The very thing like the showing the casing, you know, that this was an honor reverence given somebody who did something great. And people have to stop seeking the life of comfort, you know, seeking the life that is just immersed in the media and, and technology and all this. Is, they have to start striving for, for greatness and virtue because magnanimity is defined as someone who seeks virtue in all areas, right? And so this is something that has a greatness of soul. He seeks great virtue. And I think that's what we need to see in our priests and even in our bishops. I, we all know this, and I'm sure, Father, you experience this as well. When, you, when you're in the presence of one of those rare bishops or cardinals even yes. that is really serious, they've fought the good fight, they're still fighting the good fight, the sense that you get of, of that you just you feel like I'm this guy's uh, spiritual son and he's my spiritual father and I want to be in this man's presence, right? Yeah. And so there is a sense in which you want to become like them and emulate them. And I think this is the same thing that people need to see is that greatness of soul in a few men. And from that, I think people will start to rise up more. I, I just want to add this because you said spiritual son. Um, maybe people heard me say that before, but uh, there's uh, the skull cap for Bishop Marlino. Uh, I got a text from a former chancellor and he just simply said, Keep up the good work. You truly were his spiritual son, uh, yeah. Bishop Marlinos. And I, I probably nothing more um, meaningful to me 
done here and that. And but there, there yeah. is something in the Catholic ethos. I think it's just part of um, living a life of grace. You desire to yeah. be a spiritual father. You desire it. Yep. Brother Ripker, if you could, um, you, you just kind of gave a, a little um, example and some good kind of bullet points for what a hero would be. We talk about heroes rise up and for the audience out there, but what does that look like? Can you kind of describe that with the magnanimity and so forth that needs to occur from bishops and, and priests and such? Can Is there anything you would add to that with regards to spiritual leaders? And can you also address for us lay people out there? What do you see is necessary right now for heroes to rise up in the laity as well as in the, the priesthood religious life? Well, you know, one of the greatest virtues is humility. And I think this is one of the things that we're seeing in the church. A lot of these bishops don't have humility because they're, they're not willing to submit to the truth of the nature of their office and therefore submit to and humbly uh, submit to the obligations and duties that they have in relationship to that. And, um, you know, as a bishop, I mean, even as a priest, your life is not your own and even more so than a bishop. I used to find it interesting that Gerlin Gulleran said that for a priest, you shouldn't be ordained a priest until you're already entered into the passive purgative way. And you shouldn't become a bishop until you've entered into the illuminative way. And I'm like, well, if that were the case, there'd be nobody in the Episcopate or in the, in the, uh, as, as priest. But I think humility... But I think that we're living in a time now where one of the reasons we don't see great men, because you, you know, you've, I'm sure many of your people have heard that conference that I did on how to raise a man, that it's a, there's a lot of effeminacy where there's this attachment to pleasure. And Christ himself said, you know, in the end times, men will, charity will, men will become lovers of pleasure and charity will grow cold. And I think that's what we're seeing. There's no real true deep love of God. And that love of God, I mean by love of God, where the person desires to be with him for all eternity, desires his glory to be manifest. He really loves God and seeks God's good in this world. And then St. Thomas says that the effect of charity is zeal. We don't see zeal, which is one of the hallmarks of a hero, is someone who has zeal for his cause. We don't see that, I think, because a lot of the bishops um, and priests simply don't have that deep love of God, etc. So... So for me, it's magnanimity is kind of the, the sign that the person has, you know, mastered humility, mastered charity, is seeking all of the virtues, etc. And I think that that's ultimately what it is. It's a, it's a consummation of virtue. But to really pin it, I think that the, the one key thing that keeps coming up when I'm dealing with demons over and over again is the collapse of sacrifice, not just... Um, in relationship to the mass and how priests are offering it, but in the day-to-day -day life of the priests, especially because that's that's the hallmark of a father is self-sacrifice, but also just in people's lives in general, people are unwilling to sacrifice now for a greater good in the future, they're unwilling to sacrifice, but that's the thing that keeps coming over and over again. In fact, one time, um, uh, Beelzebub said to me, he, he, he just looked at me because i could tell something had happened before the session which is always a sign he's got to cough something up and i i said to him i said he told you, you had to tell me something didn't you and he he was so angry he couldn't even look at me so then i commanded him to shut up and i beat him around brutally for 45 minutes because i wanted him to make sure that he understood that he can't tell me what he wants to tell me until i tell him he can tell me so that i'm in the driver's seat well after 45 minutes i commanded to tell you, you got something you need to tell me and he just looked straight at me and he said, 
he told me, now he referring to God, I have to tell you my nature. And I said, let's hear it. He said, I convince people. So it's an intellectual thing. I convince people that they cannot be separated from the particular good. And then later he basically said, that's how I've subverted sacrifice. He's, and I think I'm going to mention this with you guys. That's how I took the church out. That's how I took the government out. That's how I took Adam and Eve out. That's how I took the other angels out. He said, that's how I take almost all human beings out, etc." So sacrifice in the end, because when we see heroes, even on the screen, it's because they've performed some great heroic sacrifice. Right. So it's that that we have to start seeing in the young priests. It's that that we have to start seeing in people is that sense of dying to themselves for the sake of achieving good for others. Father, when you were talking about that, saying no, that people have a hard time saying that they can't give up the particular good. Can you break that down just briefly in a little more detail? Yeah. So he was very clear that it's a, it was a conviction. He said, I convince people. So it's an intellectual conviction that there's some created good, whether it's food or the conjugal relations, or whether it's your wife or your family or your job, there's something that's uh, some created good that he says he convinces them that they can't be separated from it. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, it subverts sacrifice. So if the person is willing to permanently turn away from that thing, then their sacrifice can be perfect and complete and they can actually engage in sacrifice. But if they don't turn away from that created good, then they're likely to fall into sin or they're just simply not, not likely to sacrifice that, um, that thing that God is asking them to sacrifice. And so they don't ascend the heights of perfection in the process. So they're just not willing to let go of, of good things even. They're, they're not well, willing to detach from them if they were called to, and that's why they struggle with sacrifice? Right. So the willingness, the sacrifice is in the will. So it's it, that willingness not to sacrifice that good is in the will. So in the end, it becomes a choice. But for him, he said the deception, because he used that word, he said the deception is convincing them they can't be separated from it. Father, uh, wow. I think our time is up now. I, I, I can't, I, I know I speak on behalf of Doug and, and everybody that's listening, watching. Uh, thank you so much for, for being courageous, for being a hero in your ministry, uh, obviously exorcisms, but uh, in helping us understand what evil's up to, uh, you're, you're, put, you're literally putting your life on the line because you are making the devil, I know you know this, uh, very, very mad. And and he's going to use his minions. And uh, we pray for you. And we are so very grateful for your zeal that's so evident. And, um, you know, uh, I'll continue to pray hard now. I'll, I'll offer seven. Yeah, people could just pray for us and our, for, for our community because it is, uh, we are on the forefront and we only survive by people's prayers, really, ultimately. So, everybody listening, watching, please uh, offer your prayers. Father, could you uh, give us a, a blessing? Sure. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti, descendit super vos et money et semper. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father. Thank you very much, Father. Great to have you with us again. Thank you.